We said. Braves fan. The Atlanta Braves are world champions. NASCAR nut. And Mississippi State Bulldog through and through. He's Mike Grace, and he's here inside the press box. Guilty as charged. We're glad to have you with us on the great radio stations around the state of Alabama and beyond. Hey, look, if you're an Alabama fan, if you're just a SEC fan, college football fan, sports fan of any kind, call mom and him. Tell them, make sure they've got the press box dialed up for our next guest. This is going to be fantastic. Joined by Roger Schultz and yours truly, Mike Grace. We get to visit with John Talty. He is the senior sports editor and SEC insider for AL.com and the Alabama Media Group and now author of the brand new book. It's out a week from today, Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, How Alabama's Coach Became the Greatest Ever. You can go ahead and pre-order, by the way. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, Target, even Walmart, uh, and Audible as well, uh, all coming up. So, John, first of all, welcome inside the press box. Great to have you with us, Roger and Mike here. And it's obvious why you'd want to write this book. I'm curious as to how this this subject came about how this project begin for you yeah it's something that i've been fascinated in for a while now um it's an idea that i had years ago and uh you know was fortunate enough to be able to write this book but i think for me there's long been a fascination around successful leaders and you know what they do why they do it how they do it and whether what anything that they do is translatable outside of the field that they're in. And so I always believe that the way that Saban does things that there's value in that outside of just football. And that's kind of where the idea came from. And so the book is essentially, you know, it's a, in-depth look at you know how Nick Saban has had the success he's had, but also looks at how it could be applicable outside of just football. And so if you're running uh, a Publix in, in Birmingham, if you're a Fortune 500 CEO, whatever it might be, there's going to be stuff in there that's going to make sense to you and feel right to add to your life and your daily routine. Let me ask you this. When you were researching the book or coming up with the idea to do the book with Saban, what other coaches did you look at for books that were like a model? Like, you know, we've talked about John Wooden earlier, that John Wooden's book on leadership is really considered one of the best coaching books around. And what books did you look at for, to, for that? Yeah, so there were three that I kind of looked at, and John Wooden was one of them. Um, there were, there's a book that was written years ago about uh, former Secretary of State Colin Powell. Um, and then there was a book that Urban Meyer wrote um, years ago as well. And so those were some of the ones that I looked at because I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. Like, I don't personally read a lot of leadership books. Like, I like leadership, but I hadn't really read a lot of those books. And so I wanted to read them just to get a, a frame as to how they're done. And it helped me also because I saw some things that I liked and saw some things I didn't like. It was like, all right, that's interesting, but I'm not going to write it that way. I'm going to have to do it my way. And so that just gave me some good kind of framework as to what some of these books look like. And it gave me kind of the path that I wanted to go on. So through this so process, you, oh, go ahead, Roger. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, ahead. what do you like and what don't you like? Because like the, the, the wooden book I love, because I guess maybe I got a short attention span. You know, it's kind of the, it's it's easy and short. It's not a long diatribe or dissertation i kind of like that math i mean that works for me but yeah so when you read this book it's purposely written to be very easy to read it's very accessible and each chapter is built around a theme or an idea and so you know you don't have to read chapter one to necessarily understand chapter five, you can kind of bounce around to whatever idea you might like. So there's a chapter on how Saban handles loss. 
There's a chapter on how Saban handles complacency. There's a chapter on how Saban finds the right people for his organization. And so all those chapters, they all kind of build on each other, but they're all able to be read individually. And so that was really purposeful for me that, you know, I want people to be able to read it and understand it and not, you know, I'm not putting in big words in there just because I know big words. You know, I want people to be able to read it and like it and be like, all right, I got something out of this, not just trying to impress people with the words that I know. And so that was really important for me to make sure that, you know, anybody of any reading level could like it and understand it. Almost and anyone. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, and you can kind of flip through it and see what, what pertains to you at that time. If you're a leader and you're like, man, I'm about to hire somebody. It's a reference. Absolutely. And I, I thought back to this recently, you know, ha, you know, so you say you have something going on in your personal life, whatever it might be, you know, I flip to here's how Saban handles loss. Right. And so I'm looking through it and he's talking about, you know, how no great victory in life is really achieved without adversity. You know, it's the adversity that makes it a great victory. And you think like, yeah, that makes sense to me right now. Like whatever tough time I'm going through, it's going to make that victory on the other side that much more worthwhile. And so it's, it's funny because, you know, as a journalist, you, know, you try to have a little bit of separation. You try to be impartial. But as I was writing this book and just, you know, talking to all these people around Coach Saban and players and coaches, like you start buying into it, you know, and I was like, a lot of what this guy is preaching makes a lot of sense to me. And just adding some of these things into my daily routine, like make a lot of sense. And I've done that myself just from writing this book, adding some of those things into the mix. We have seen Coach Saban uh, achieve just unparalleled success, wins, championships, you name it. As all that goes about, it, it all ties back to, okay, how did he do it? What's his secret? How, how, what is his secret to becoming the greatest ever? A couple of excerpts we've seen from AL.com uh, and this book, John, it, it goes back to recruiting. He's always made that his number one priority from day one on campus in Tuscaloosa, right? Yeah, and so I think it's – you know, the, yeah, you, if you want to go to AL.com, there's an excerpt that we had that ran yesterday. And I think there's a, a couple important parts about that. One, from day one, he established what needs to be the number one and most important thing for the organization. We need to have the right people in our organization or we're not going to be successful. That's step one. Step two, which I think is it's so simple, but it's so brilliant in that. And that first meeting, it wasn't just the offensive coordinator. It wasn't just the recruiting director. He wanted the custodians, he wanted the secretaries, he wanted every single person in that building to be in that meeting so that every single person knew what the priority was and would be pulling in the same direction. And so it's so easy, I think, as a leader to, and you only care about maybe your top lieutenants or whatever, but he was making at a personal level to, listen, if this, if these floors are not clean and a recruit walks in here and sees this place is dirty, it's going to reflect poorly on us. So I need you to have this place looking great every single day and that's how you're going to help our organization. And you can just tell, and I talked to some lower level people, it was almost a little intimidating, but I think they got fired up by the idea of no matter where you are in the organizational flow chart, your job mattered to the overall operation. And I think that's something that he is so good at is that you talk to people who work there, they're guys who are as low level as it gets. And they truly believe that every single day, what they are doing is critical to that organization succeeding. And when you can get that buy-in from top to bottom, that's when you have something really special going. Another thing I thought was fascinating in, in that excerpt you're, you're talking about is the three major components to Saban's recruiting approach. One of those was your ability to change your mind or his don't be afraid to change your mind. And, and that really is what set him apart over the last couple of years. We've seen him make so many different adjustments into his his game plan, how, what kind of defense, what kind of offense, whatever. He's never been afraid to change. 
Absolutely. And so one of the chapters in the book is called Evaluate Constantly Evolve When Necessary. And I think that's really been Saban's you know, approach is that he's always looking for an edge. He's always bringing in new people, uh, speakers. He, you know, I can remember after they lost to Ohio State in 2014, you know, he wanted to pick Tom Herman's mind and figure out, like, what did you guys see? What were you able to do against my defense that I'm not seeing? He's always looking for those edges. And he never has too big of an ego to not change something that he's done you think about he's a defensive minded guy we all know that and now his team has had one of the most high powered offenses for what five years or so now I mean you know that he that's not how he wants to play football but he realized that was necessary in order for them to succeed in this current you know environment and so I just I think it's one of the things that's so impressive about him because you can think about I mean, now, especially he's won seven national championships. There have been other coaches over the years who, listen, I won a national championship. I know how I'm doing things. I don't need to change. He's never had that mindset. And I think that's one of the ways that he's able to kind of stay above the curve and stay on the edge because he's not going to, he's not going to fall back into, I've had success, so I don't need to change. He's willing to change when he has to. You know, and and that brings up another uh, question is, all these guys that have worked for him and kind of went on and had head coaching jobs. And we talk about all, I think Mel Tucker's a guy, Mel Tucker wasn't with him very long. Kirby Smart's a little guy that's with him the longest. Some of these guys have had success. Some haven't must champ. So what, like, how is he able to pass it down? Napier, I think kind of, I think Napier's kind of knitted in there a lot, but you know how some of it, some of some's listen, some haven't. How does that reflect? Cause obviously the, the strength of a leader is some of the people that come behind you, how your leadership works. Absolutely. And I think that Kirby Smart, I think, is the most true disciple out of any of the Saban guys. I mean, he has been around Kirby. I mean, he is a relentless guy. He also has prioritized recruiting from day one, immediately going toe to toe with Saban. I can remember, you know, when Kirby left for Georgia, when Kirby left Alabama for Georgia, he took some of Alabama's, you know, kind of recruiting information and used it against Alabama, which was a ruthless move, but like that to me, like I think Saban probably was both mad and respected it that like, all right, you're going for the jugular from day one. Like that's a Saban kind of move. I think some other guys have not fully embraced the mindset. I think that you've seen some guys who, you know, they take little pieces of it, but it's not really core to who they are. You know, like Kirby to me is similar to Saban in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Billy Napier, I'm really excited to see what he does at Florida because I think he is a true believer as well. We've already seen him do it at a smaller level, but work really well. I mean, his whole thing was, I'm going to take the process to a smaller school and see if I can make it work with less money and less resources. And obviously he did a great job down there. Um, But, you know, there's other guys like, you know, sometimes I feel like he he has guys that get, you know, attached to him, which makes sense. But like Derek Dooley, Jim Malfoy, and some of these other guys who maybe haven't had success, like, they're not really carbon copies of Saban. You know, there's some similarities. They maybe took a little piece of it and everybody's trying to sell the Saban brand at this point, you know, but like, there's not that many guys who I think actually have the mindset and ability to live their life that way every day. And I think Kirby is the number one who can. Yeah. I think it's funny because we talk about Jim McElwain. I'll never forget when, when he got to Alabama, I was playing in a golf tournament. I think he was a couple of year, years into the, th- he, he wasn't Saban. Like he was like, Man, I gotta get the hell out of here, man. I can't grind. I mean, it's just like this is this is killing me. You know what I mean? Some people can't. He expects a lot, and that was always the you know that's what you always heard from the coach. That's why they he goes through a lot of coaches, man. He just grinds them, grinds and grinds them, and that's why these guys know now that when they get there. And I think he's surrounded. So I think Bill O'Brien. I mean, he's a grinder. He's been in the. He knows how to work twenty hour days. He, you know, what Saban does to him isn't going to affect him, but. 
he's done a good job of, of of now i think you talk about hiring process how he evaluates guys and how he brings them in and and it's but now he's just set the tone now it's, now it's a standard it's like my football players it's like recruits go there now they know that if i want to be in the nfl i'm one i'm going to get developed that's the most important thing is everybody there's some guys these five-star guys that never make it go somewhere else they're going to develop you it's it's on you if you're willing to work and you're willing to do this here's i can show you how to do it we can get you where you want to go and i think yeah, that's I think the big simple. two key parts of that one i think with the players one of the main things that he does and i write about this in the book is that he's not making promises he's saying you have an opportunity if you work hard but and i mean I've, I've covered recruiting for a long time. You, other schools, they'll tell kids, listen, you'll be a starter from day one. We'll get you this. We'll get you that. And then they come in, they come to campus with a certain mindset that it's all going to be handed to them. Where statement, I mean, he goes after five stars. He's like, listen, if you do what you need to do, we'll get you graduated. I think we can get you in the NFL, but like, it's on you. I'm not handing you anything. Right. And with the hiring, I think what he does, it's very smart. Kind of similar to that is that he'll tell people, listen, we're hiring you because you did a good job at this place or whatever, but we're hiring you to run things the way we do things, not how you did it there. So that's great that you had success at Ole Miss, but like, I want you to take those skills and run it the way that I want it run. And either you buy into that and you're good with that or you don't and it doesn't work. I mean, it's very clearly, this is the way we do things here and you're either going to enjoy that life or you're going to have to find life elsewhere. I mean, he's pretty clear cut about that. And he's very honest about it during the interview process. Like, this is what I want. You're either going to buy it or not. Yeah, and I think I think another interesting thing that happened for Saban as far as the player side of it, when he got there, he brought in Julio Jones. That was his big number one recruit and everything. And Julio, five-star, I mean, obviously he's one of the greatest receivers ever, right? But he bought in. So I've been around, I've been around, I, I played with Derek Thomas. Derek Thomas bought in to a degree, but like Julio Jones bought in. And when he bought in and Saban can work him like a dog and treat him, you know, whatever, and he bought in, that affected all the other players. I, to me, I think that's the most important thing why Saban is so successful at Alabama. It's because he got, first of all, one of the greatest players to ever play at Alabama to buy in. He bought into the system. And that, and so now, you know, that's what everybody talks about Alabama, man. They kind of police themselves. And that's, you know, a couple of years ago, the team didn't have real strong leadership. And that bothered Saban. It's like, hey, these guys, I want them to police themselves. These, these kids are holding these up. These, these seniors are, are juniors. These prospects are holding these guys that walk into a high standard. And he's built – that's hard to do. Now, that is – that's the secret sauce, however he's done it. But I think it started early with Julio Jones, and, and then they had success, and it, and it just grew from there. So one of my favorite chapters in the entire book is called You Can't Be the Only Leader. And it's exactly that. I remember talking to guys who have played for Saban over the years, and I asked, like, what's the difference between a national championship winning team and a team that doesn't win at all? And outside of the first year, pretty much they've had the talent to win it all every single year since right. then. And what a couple of guys explained to me, it's sometimes all it is is three or four guys toppling over and fully buying in and it spreads throughout the organization. So Julio is a great example of that when you have your alpha also being the hardest working guy in the room, that sends a message to everybody else that this guy, you know, and other places maybe could get away with things and is not is doing the opposite of that. And you've seen, you know, the best teams at Alabama, you can tell have great leadership and the teams that struggle, they'll admit the leadership wasn't where it needed to be. There are a couple of teams 
2010 is one of them that I think of. I think 2013, uh, 2019. There are a couple of teams where you could tell they had all the talent to win it all, but guys were buying into what they thought they were, and it just never fully materialized. I still remember when they lost to Clemson out in California, when they got blown out, I mean, that was a great team and should have been a lot better, but they were already wobbling by the time they got out to that game and they got exposed in a big way. And then clearly there was a tone setting afterwards. Well, it's interesting too, when you talk about being able to treat your alpha dog and your alpha dog response, I've played with a lot of really great players. And I can tell you this, I've, we had a coach one time that our, he was our alpha player on the field, but he wasn't our alpha player off the field. Like, and the coach treated him different. I, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget. A kid came out late to practice. And the coach, he's a walk-on. Coach is like, hey, man, what do you got late? He goes, I had a biology lab. I'm paying for my school. I had a biology lab. He goes, all right, give me some labs. I can't. Don't ever be late again. Well, this other guy, the star guy, comes out. And coach goes, where you been? He goes, oh, coach, I had an upset stomach. I had, I was in there pooping. You know, it's like, oh, well, that's not an excuse, you know. But it, it's, and he treated him, you know, it's like, oh, I hope you're okay. So, but that, I just see that leadership and treat everybody the same and with respect. So, and guys who played for the Mike Shula era leading into statements that that was happening under Shula at times too, where you know the walk-ons are getting worked like nobody's business, and then you know some of these stars are like, yeah, you don't have to work out today, you can just do this, or you can just hang out to the side. And statement established from day one, like everybody's working, everybody's being held to the same standard. And when you're a captain or on his leadership team, the standard is actually even higher. It's not a privilege. He talks about that all the time, like. He wants, one guy put it to me, is like, he wants you to basically be acting the same way no matter where you are. Like, if you're on the field, that's what he wants. If you're at a bar, he wants that same, you're not going to do anything wrong, you're holding a certain standard, and it's a major responsibility, but I think when the guys fully buy in, it, it you know makes his job a lot easier that he doesn't have to be telling them over and over again, do this, do that. When you have your players, like you said earlier, Roger, policing themselves, that's such a huge advantage to have as a team. Yeah, it, it, and it shows, and that's why they they that's why they are where they are. And and I can rem- I remember another player that they were having off season workouts. This is when I was done, and, I, and I'm going to tell the coach. And the star player was at like the high school wrestling tournament, and it was like Friday at ten. I'm like, what the hell are you doing here, man? Don't you have lower gym or off season? He goes, oh man, I'm a star. I go, what? Oh, wow. I was like, what? Oh, yeah, you got to be. I'll never forget. Now the guy was very successful. Went to the NFL. Had a very successful. I mean, he was a star, but I was just, it shocked me. You know, I was like, yeah. I can imagine being that player that I'm showing up for workouts and this guy's just hanging out in Birmingham having a good time. But. John Talty again, senior sports editor and SEC insider for AL.com, the Alabama Media Group, the author of the new book, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, How Alabama's Coach Became the Greatest Ever. It is out one week from today, next Tuesday, August 9th. You can pre-order now Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Target, Walmart, also the audio book via Audible. And you can meet John, a happy hour book launch on August 11th at 5.30 p.m. at Little Professor. That's on 18th Street South in Homewood. John, thanks so much for your time, man. It's a fascinating project. We can't wait to read it ourselves, and we hope you'll uh, you'll join us again sometime soon inside the press yes. box, man. We'd love to do it. Thanks so much, guys. Want to talk to the guys? Hit them up at the contact page, online at pressboxradio.com, or find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at pressboxradio1. That's pressboxradio and the number one. That's how you can earn access to the press box.